0: From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, May 14th. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, I'm joined by Impact Alpha's Jessica Pothering and David Bank to talk about risks and returns and explore some innovative financial structures that are unlocking new capital in emerging markets. Hi, Jessica. Hey, Brian. And hi, David. Hey, Brian and Jessica. Good to be with both of you. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. KKR is making employee ownership the centerpiece of its manufacturing strategy. The private equity giant is part of a group that this week took over Charter Next Generation, an Ohio maker of packaging for food and other goods. As part of the deal, all 1,700 employees will get equity stakes. There were more signs of growth in energy transition and decarbonization investing orion energy partners became the latest firm to raise a billion dollar fund for low carbon investing orion provides debt for mid-sized companies active in renewable fuels energy efficiency and infrastructure meanwhile the companies mitsubishi and south pole will finance carbon removal technology with a facility that aims to buy at least 800 million dollars in such credits by 2030. also Einride in Sweden raised $110 million for its autonomous and electric freight system. Einride's driverless pod holds a global speed record for electric autonomous freight. The UK's CDC group extended $100 million to the food conglomerate ETG to source grains and other staples from smallholder farmers in Africa. ETG is one of the biggest suppliers to the World Food Program and other food security efforts. And finally, Impact Alpha took up the case for assessing countries, and not just companies, for their ESG risk, or environmental, social, and especially governance risk. In her latest column, Impact Alpha contributing editor Imogen Rose Smith, a regular on this podcast, made the case that Saudi Arabia presents a governance risk that impact investors simply can't ignore. And in an Agents of Impact podcast this week, Isaac Stonefish of Strategy Risks, says that exposure to China and Chinese politics is a risk for investors that's on par with climate risk. But New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who is this week's Agent of Impact, presents the investment case for her country as an ESG success story, showcasing the benefits of good governance. The total number of COVID deaths in New Zealand? Only about two dozen. And now it's time for our future conversation. Joining me once again are Jessica and David. David, starting with you, when some people think of impact investing, they think high risk and low returns, but you've been covering some interesting new efforts to de-risk impact investments, especially in emerging markets.
1: Tell me about them. Well, Brian, there's a kind of a push on, I think, to create products in impact investing. That's been kind of the rallying cry of the last few years is make sure that that investors have the kind of products they need to fit into their portfolios in a kind of natural way. And that is both a risk, as you say, calculation, as well as a return calculation. It's something that gets de-risked need not have the same kind of return to fit into say the fixed income portfolio of of investors so there's a lot of work going on to create kind of new structures that kind of mix up risk and return in interesting ways to make products that investors can easily integrate into their allocations and thus bring more capital to bear. and that, and that's really what the point is is bringing forth vehicles that can mobilize much more capital for like you say, um, you know emerging market um, investments of, of various sorts and, and as well as in this country as well.
0: So vehicles that become kind of known quantities that could be repeated, replicable,
1: scalable, uh, and the like, right? Well, all of that, obviously, but but then, of course, again, this notion that that something that um, the same return at lower risk is a better investment. So, if you can de-risk investments in various ways, then you can make that same business a better investment for the investor because you've de-risked it, and and um, uh, and that's what we've been looking at. We've been doing a lot of work on what's called um, a catalytic capital, which is kind of this whole category of these. Sort of mechanisms that bring forth, you know, you know, or that make accessible kind of pools of capital for impact that may not have been um, dedicated to impact. And some of that can be lowering risk. So there's a lot of work going on of sort of what are the mechanisms for, for lowering risk. And then, of course, obviously raising returns, but also sometimes, you know, increased liquidity or, or, or longer time horizons, all kinds of levers that can be pulled to make more capital available.
0: That's interesting. So let's get into some specific examples. Now, Jessica, you found out about an interesting new impact investing model this week called Acre Impact Capital. Can you tell us what they're doing?
2: That's right. Um, Acre Impact Capital was started by a group of ex-bankers in London. And what they're doing is building off of this century-old form of credit to fill a financing gap for critical infrastructure projects in Africa. So Acre works with uh, international export credit agencies, and what these are are government-owned and government-sponsored organizations that guarantee financing for any kind of project that facilitates the export of goods and services from their home country to an emerging or frontier market.
0: So the export credit agency, that's, just to be clear, is from a developed country government, correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. So in the U.S., uh, that organization is called the Export-Import Bank. Um, In the U.K., there's the U.K. Export Finance. And- that one was actually first. It was started back in 1919. In the Netherlands, there's a Tradius, there's many others. Um, and what these organizations do is they guarantee financing on projects where, say, a local African government has issued a public tender to build a chain of hospitals or a public transport project. And then the US uh, or UK or a Dutch company has been contracted to execute on that project. And so these export credit agencies, are, or ECAs for short, um, they'll offer to guarantee up to 85% of those project costs um, as a way of encouraging commercial capital to, um, to finance them, basically. Um, and then just to give you like, a quick sense of market size, I mean these organizations are handling about $150 billion worth of project financing in any given year.
0: So what is Acre Impact Capital's role in all of this?
2: Uh, Well, Acre's team, I mean, some of whom are actually experienced in export credit agency lending, saw that even with that 85% guarantee in place, there were often a shortage of lenders who were willing to cover that um, that additional 15%. So there's a lot of demand for infrastructure finance in Africa, particularly now since the pandemic started, you know, a rush to build more healthcare facilities or hospitals and the like. And so uh, what Acre is doing is just offering up that 15% through a fund it's getting ready to raise.
0: That actually sounds pretty straightforward as far as financial products go, but what makes this Acre Impact Capital project more innovative?
2: Uh, Yeah, so a couple of things. I talked to the founder, Hussein Sefyan this week, um, as well as the team from Rockefeller Foundation, who provided Acre with grant funding to do research and development on this product. And they both explained that, like, actually, nobody has done this before. Um, For the most part, ECA-backed lending is all done by traditional banks, and so... What Acre is doing is giving impact investors and family offices and development finance institutions access to a totally new kind of infrastructure investment. And secondly, uh, Hussein explained that ECA-backed projects often have really high impact marks and very strong risk mitigation. These are government-affiliated institutions. They do extensive environmental, social, and governance due diligence As he told me, they just don't want the scandal of being affiliated with projects that, you know, lead to community displacement or where there are corruption allegations. And so actually, both he and the Rockefeller team spoke about it in terms of just giving um, ECAs the impact credit that they're due. And then just like one final point quickly, I mean, Acre has its own impact screening on top of that. They're really committed to making sure that they're financing infrastructure projects that are reaching, you know, the lowest income and most marginalized groups um, across Africa.
0: All right. That's very interesting. Now, David, you've also covered another initiative called Lendable. Tell us about what Lendable is doing.
1: Well, Lendable is a lender to lenders. um, And the lenders, in in this case, are fintechs or financial services companies that are technology enabled. It's been the hottest category of venture finance, venture capital financing um, in, in this country, but in emerging markets as well, they can get equity from the venture capitalists, but they have had difficulty getting the lending capital that they can then on lend to their borrowers. And in Lendable's case, those borrowers are small businesses or you know motorcycle boda boda taxi drivers in Uganda, or Kenya who who want to buy their own motorcycles and and get out from the from the leasing game. Or you know, I think they they do working capital for truck drivers in Egypt, that sort of thing. So these are you know the the, the ultimate borrowers are. Are small businesses and and individuals trying to, uh, as they say, either um, raise their incomes or lower their costs. And so Lendable supplies them the capital that they can then on-lend. And what's interesting in the case we wrote about this week is how does Lendable get its own capital? And they have raised a fund. It's got the, you know, wonky name of the segregated investment vehicle. Um and that what's just rolls all- off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and all that means is that they've created a vehicle where there's two tranches, there's two layers, and there's what they call subordinated notes, which which, which absorb the risk. And then there's the senior notes, which are basically guaranteed by the subordinated notes. So it's similar to what Jessica was explaining. These subordinated notes will take up to 50% of the loss. If say the the loans go bad or the principal in, in the fund is, is depleted because nobody's repaying their loans, um, that subordinated part of the investment will take up. The loss, and what's interesting about it, the reason we wrote it up is it reverses the usual risk-return calculation. The catalytic capital, the the risky capital. Is taken by a commercial fund, a commercial investor. In this case, called Variant Investments. They're just a. Um, they're just looking for yield in a kind of low yield world. They want to give their investors, you know, a, a little bit higher return by taking on a little more risk. So they're willing to take on this risk. That um, and they, you know, they they've they've due diligence lendable. They understand lendables, underwriting capacities and underwriting standards. And so they've decided that's a risk they can take in return for a bit of a, higher return. Then. That means that the senior notes, which get a fixed income, um, have a kind of risk cushion under them. They're less risky. And so then the 6% in this case that the fixed income um, investors get is a much better investment because it's got um, a lower risk profile. That was what I was saying earlier, that the the same return at a lower risk is a better investment. So they've um, now floated those senior notes to um, family offices and other investors as just something that plugs in as like another fixed income investment. But in this case, like I say, the money is going to to fund you know motorcycle drivers in Uganda or, or women entrepreneurs in Indonesia instead of you know being in some bond fund that that nobody knows quite <laughs> quite where the proceeds are going. So it's a way again of slotting in what is inarguably an impact investment into a very plain vanilla wrapper that can slide into folks' portfolios. And again, as I said, what's interesting here is that the the catalytic capital is actually coming from commercial investors.
0: That's great. So this is, as you say, is is unlocking the new capital that wouldn't have gone there otherwise, were it not for these very uh, well known, well established kind of s- systems and structures that investors can can get into and plug into and and put into their overall. portfolio uh, that that aligns to their overall risk appetite and return expectations.
1: Yeah, and, and what's interesting, and, and Jessica called it out too. I mean, Rockefeller in the other case gave a grant, and then that's now become a fund and and, and it will attract commercial investors, you know, who are happy to have eighty-five percent guaranteed by by the export credit agencies in that case. And and this is attracting investors who are happy to have 50% guaranteed by this, by this, um, these subordinated notes in in this case. But what's interesting is that this also was backed early on, lendable was backed early on. By you know the sort of folks that are well known in the impact investing world, the Omidyar Network, Acumen, Kenny Arth, uh, because. The track record wasn't known, really. You know, how do you underwrite these kind of emerging market fintechs that are, have an inclusive, low-income kind of focus? But now that stage is done. Now they have a big track record. I think they've got something like 17 million loans in their database that they can, you know, they can run all kinds of analytics on and understand the underwriting risks and everything. And so now it's ready for, you know, for for scaling up with with like I said, you know, non-concessional capital that just thinks it's a good investment. All
0: right. Very interesting. We're going to look forward to more catalytic and innovative investments in the pages of Impact Alpha. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Brian. And thanks so much, Jessica. Thanks a lot, Brian. And that's going to do it for your Impact Briefing this week. You can read all of these stories at Impact Alpha. Impact Alpha's podcasts are available wherever you listen. Impact Alpha subscribers make our journalism possible. You can join them and receive the daily brief and full access to Impact Alpha content podcast listeners get $100 off their first annual subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100 for your $100 off. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to Jessica Pothering, David Bank, and our fearless producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquinet. Until next time, take good care.